Dr. Dan's Freedom Forum is on the air. Never send to know for whom the bell tolls. It tolls for thee. Dr. Dan's Freedom Forum is a call to arms for those American patriots who, in the tradition of our founding fathers, will stand up now to defend the Constitution and the liberties that it guarantees to each citizen, to each of us. That is our mission, to explain in a clear and concise manner the direct effect of each issue on the individual, on you personally, not some anonymous being in a distant place, and to define in no uncertain terms the consequences of inaction. Let the battle begin. This is Dr. Dan. Most of you know that I'm a physician, an ophthalmologist now in my 31st year of practice in our rural area. In college and at Yale Medical School, I was heavily involved in basic scientific research during which I performed anatomical, neurological, surgical, and electrophysiological studies on insect eyes. Between my second and third years in medical school, I even took a year off to pursue this research on a full-time basis in the biology department of Yale University. I also participated in clinical studies both during training and while in practice. As a result, I have authored 14 peer-reviewed scientific papers published in reputable scientific journals as well as presenting scientific research lectures at prestigious meetings both in the U.S. and abroad. My listeners, I'm, I'm not saying this to pat myself on the back, although I am proud of the scientific research in which I participated, but more to verify for each of you that I have a complete and total understanding of the rules and requirements that define the scientific method. For centuries, scientists have observed natural events and made educated guesses or hypotheses as to why these things occur. An experiment is then designed to support or disprove the truth of that educated guess. As the experiment proceeds, data is collected, it is analyzed, and from the analyzing of that data, conclusions are drawn that help us understand how things work. The critical steps, however, involve verification that the experimental process has been carried out honestly and without prejudice. In order for that to occur, the raw data must be available for examination by all, and other scientists must be able to repeat the experiment and get approximately the same results. The outcome must be based on analysis of the raw data and not on the wishful thinking of the creator of the hypothesis. Strict adherence to the scientific method over past centuries has led to some really incredible, amazing discoveries that enrich our human existence today. To be valid, scientific study must remain pure and uninfluenced by the agendas and beliefs of government and religion and the experimenters themselves. Of course. Now, Galileo, for example, was charged with heresy because he proved and promoted the ideas of Copernicus 
that the earth and the planets orbited around the sun because it was the belief of the church that all heavenly bodies revolved around the earth. Now, obviously, that was the incorrect uh, and obtrusive use of the power of the church, which was the government in that era. So, when I hear it said that climate change has caused by man is settled science, it is my duty to vigorously object. My guest on Freedom Forum Radio is Robert Kappelman. Now, Robert Kappelman is the Principal Energy and Environmental Policy Consultant for RLK Associates. Now, prior to entering the consulting field, he served as a Director of Legislative and Regulatory Affairs at Jacksonville Electrical Authority. He has assisted clients in understanding the economic impacts of new energy and environmental legislative and regulatory initiatives on their utility operations. Now, Mr. Kappelman has written numerous technical and policy papers on energy and environmental issues, including co-authoring the FACA policy paper on the integration of the eight-hour ozone NAAQS PM 2.5, boy, this sounds like a government stuff if I've ever heard it, and regional haze requirements. Now, Mr. Kappelman, Robert Kappelman, we'll call him Robert, is an environmental manager for the Plains Electric GNT in Albuquerque, New Mexico. He has led successful NSR permitting efforts for new electric generation facilities in both New Mexico and Florida. He is the past chairman of the American Public Power Association's Energy and Clean Energy Task Force. He is also a past chairman of the Florida Electric Power Coordinating Group's Environmental Committee. Now, Bob Kappelman received a BS degree from Stetson University and completed his undergraduate requirements in chemical and civil engineering and received a master's degree in environmental engineering from the University of Florida. His graduate research area was in atmospheric photochemistry. So, let's face it. When I am going to ask him questions about climate change, I think you know that you're going to hear the ideas, the opinions, and probably the facts from someone who actually knows what he's talking about. So, Robert Kappelman, welcome to Freedom Forum Radio. Dr. Dan, really glad to be here. Well, I'm, it is a pleasure for me because I expect to learn a whole bunch today. And so we're going to start our discussion by asking you a question. Robert Kappelman, okay, is climate change settled science? Well, you know, most people get confused when they talk about climate change versus natural climate change versus man-generated climate change, sometimes called anthropomorphic climate change. <clears throat> Most scientists, and when you hear the 97% consensus of scientists that climate change is real, what that consensus consists of are the people that believe that there's natural climate change. There are people that believe there's a combination of natural climate change and man's influence is felt there. And then there's the other extreme that believes that all the climate change is due primarily to man's activity. 
the settled science is that there is climate change. Geology tells us that. What isn't settled is man's impact, if any, on the natural rate of climate change. So what you're saying pretty much is when you hear that 97% of scientists agree that there's climate change, it's really kind of disingenuous. It's, it's pretty, pretty much a big lie, uh, which uh, is pretty common nowadays because, yes, there is climate change. You and I know there's climate change. I mean, the climate's not the same today as it was when I was a kid. Uh, we don't have dinosaurs roaming around. And this area where we're sitting used to be covered by a glacier 400 million years ago or something. So climate change exists. So when people say all these scientists agree that, yes, there is climate change, they're not really telling the truth. They're, well, they're being disingenuous right. because they're letting you believe that they all agree that man is the primary cause of the climate change, when in reality, the real scientific question is what impact does man have? Is he a principal impactor of recent climate change, or is he a bit actor? And that's what people are really debating. You hear the term the climate heretic or the climate contrarian, and they basically almost been demonized because they have the audacity to say, well, wait a minute, I'm not sure that man is the total cause here. I'm not saying that man doesn't have some influence, but it's important to know how much influence. For instance, if I had an aircraft carrier and I had a battleship run into the aircraft carrier, I literally could affect the direction of that aircraft carrier. But if I had a seagull run into that same aircraft carrier, I could theoretically calculate that I've diverted the course of that aircraft carrier. For all practical purposes, it's insignificant. So we do have scientists that say, I really think that Amer uh, man is a bit actor in here. You have some that say, well, I think he's more than a bit actor. But then you have the extreme that basically man is the prime driver. And I think this is where the disagreement is. Dr. Dan's Freedom Forum will be right back after a quick break. My guest on Freedom Forum Radio is Robert Kaplan. So you've raised really an important point, and that is there are really two sides to this issue. There is a scientific side, and there is a political religious side. Uh, obviously, uh, if you're going to be calling me a climate change heretic or a climate change denier, that almost has the same feel as what they did to Galileo. I mean, he was a heretic in the eyes of the church, so he was a, a denier of the eth the ethnocentric view that religion has at the time. So I think it would be useful for us to separate the, those two out first. Why don't we talk about the science of climate change? What, what, how did this all get started? What's, what, what are we talking about here? Well, it really built on a phenomenon that helps us live on this planet, which is called the greenhouse effect. Uh, we have gases in the atmosphere, primarily water vapor and to a much lesser extent CO2, trap energy from the sun and keep our, our temperature 
uh, in a livable situation. I've heard a scientist one time say, you know, if we didn't have the greenhouse gas effect, this would be an ice planet. The average temperature would be about a minus 60 degrees Fahrenheit. So the greenhouse gas effect is good, the greenhouse effect. So someone said, um, well, gee whiz, with the Industrial Revolution, we're getting more and more carbon fuels being burned, more and more CO2 in the atmosphere. CO2 is a greenhouse gas. So that greenhouse gas must increase the temperature. Now, if we increase the temperature, the global temperature, we think that that may change the climate. And if we change the climate too rapidly, we'll have climate disasters. So this is kind of the genesis or or sort of the, some people call it a theory. I call it a hypothesis because the last part of that isn't really clear. And to have a theory, you actually have to have some factual basis beyond a hypothesis. But that's basically where things come from. Now, the interesting thing is carbon dioxide is a very weak greenhouse gas. And the fact that it by itself increasing could change the temperature of the earth significantly is kind of hard to imagine. In fact, the models, the computer models, actually depend on the CO2 triggering more water vapor, which is the major greenhouse gas, and you call it, it's it's called a feedback effect. Again, it's theoretical. So most of the stuff that we're dealing with, the projections of the climate Armageddon, are based on computer models as opposed to a more factual basis. So what you've just said has raised several questions in my mind. And number one, I was going to ask you, are there other greenhouse gases other than CO2? Yeah, the, the big one is water vapor. That's about 90, 95% plus of the greenhouse effect. Then you have the next one is uh, carbon dioxide. You have methane nitrous oxides, those are primarily responsible for about 98% plus of the greenhouse gas effect. The other thing that people don't realize is how much the human component, the anthropogenic CO2 emissions are compared to Mother Nature's emissions. And it's about 4 to 5% of the total CO2 emissions in the total annual cycle of CO2 is from man. About 95 to 96% is the natural carbon cycle of, of nature. So again, that lets you say, wow, that's a lot of influence for something from man, which is about 5% of the total CO2 emissions. But you've also already said that carbon dioxide is not even the primary, uh, the primary gas involved in the greenhouse effect. So you have a carbon dioxide which has a minimal effect to begin with, and man is only 5% of a minimal effect. So it's always struck me as odd, uh, to be honest with you. I mean, I did take biology when I was in elementary school, and we all learned that We take oxygen in and put carbon dioxide out, and the plants take carbon dioxide in and put oxygen out, and there's that symbiotic relationship. So it was always tough for me in recent years when when the government says, 
that carbon dioxide is a poison gas. I don't see how that's possible. Well, basically, you're demonizing the enemy. So carbon dioxide, from high school biology, remember photosynthesis, you know, carbon dioxide, water, sunlight, a little chlorophyll catalyst, and we get food, fiber. Um, I like to think of the fact, uh, if you remember uh, Star Trek, and when Spock said, well, you're a carbon-based unit, Mm -hmm. well, we are carbon-based units. Everything we have is related to carbon. Including ourselves. Ourselves, trees, what we eat, etc. In fact, the idea that carbon dioxide has now become a toxic uh, chemical is, is really almost ludicrous. Um, the issue then becomes, you know, exactly how much problem is carbon dioxide? And again, the science is out there. You've, you've got two types of science going on here. You actually have science scientists that are legitimately looking, trying to define man's attribute to the natural rate of change uh, in the climate because climate change is real, natural climate change is real. The idea that Mother Nature just very gradually changes climate, it's a real gradual thing, is is a misunderstanding because there's often radical changes in climate. If you look at the Viking civilization on Greenland, um, it's a wonderful example of adaptation to climate change because when they first moved there, it was a beautiful farming area. They were able to farm just like and had better farmland almost than their native land. But then the climate started to get colder and colder, and they changed their crops. They finally had to become hunter-gatherers, living off sea life, and finally it got so cold they had to go home back to Scandinavia. You know, that's an interesting part of history, and I I do want to get into that. That is called the medieval warm period, if if I'm not mistaken. And, uh, And from the graphs that I've seen, the medieval warm period was actually warmer than it is now on Earth. And that was a period during the medieval time when the Vikings, who were adventurous seafaring people, they came to northern England, and then they went across the Atlantic into to what is now Greenland, covered by, I don't know how many feet of ice, whether it's 50 or 100 or whatever feet of ice now, uh, but there, there are remnants of them. There were farms, they had farm animals, they grew crops on actual earth uh, in Greenland. And so that, to me, is a really perfect example of pretty extreme climate change, but not on an instantaneous basis, as you pointed out. Yeah, relatively short period of time, because it was about a 300-year period, they went from an agricultural society to a hunting society because they couldn't grow crops to just abandoning the whole, the whole area. So uh, from a geologic time, that's a pretty, pretty short period of time. And why the legitimate scientists are trying to define it, not making the assumption that man broke the climate, man can fix the climate, because if you do have periods where the climate can change fairly rapidly due to natural causes, 
sunspots, etc., sun sun interaction, the different different theories that are out there. Uh, you need to know that because you we have actually the choice of the Vikings. You know, adapt, adapt to what the change is. But if you don't define the problem, if you ignore it and assume, ah, oh, man broke this, man could fix it, you, you might find yourself in a difficult situation. And that concludes another episode of Dr. Dan's Freedom Forum. Join the battle on our website, www.drdansfreedomforum.com. The rights to own private property that cannot be arbitrarily confiscated by the government is the moral right and constitutional basis for individual freedom. Yeah, when I play the hoochie coochie man, I get joy in everything.